Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, February 7th, 2020. On today's show, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Okay, let's dive into it. Uh, let's talk about a story that broke... Uh, t- Two days ago, this is a, a big one. This is who is going to replace who's going to replace director Scott Derrickson on Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, and this is kind of a shocker. It's not like you know Marvel is used to hiring like these up and comers from Sundance. Uh, you know, I mean, auteurs, but like up and cut, like you know, people that I feel like they can have some control over. But what we actually have here is someone returning to Marvel for the first time since Spider-Man. It's Sam Raimi. Brad, tell us about it. Yeah, so um, now that Scott Derrickson is out for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Marvel needed a replacement. And honestly, I can't imagine finding a better person for uh, this movie than Sam Raimi. This is awesome. Uh, He directed all three of the Spider-Man movies in the first trilogy with Tobey Maguire. Um, this was before, you know, superhero movies were as big as they are now. Spider-Man was one of the earliest 
you know, blockbuster comic book movies after X-Men started this huge resurgence um, of interest in them and sparked the what was basically the superhero craze uh, where studios started snatching up every comic book property they could. Brad, and I'm sure so, listeners are screaming at you that you're you're uh, perpetuating Blade Erasure right now. Don't, I don't know don't, what Blade is. Sorry. Don't forget the 1998 <laughs> movie Blade that really yes, kickstarted this I, whole thing. Yeah, I forgot about the, that. That Blade was the movie where everyone was like, "Man, we should get some of these comic book characters up here." Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Sam Raimi. Uh, not only does he have a comic book movie experience, but he also is very well known for his penchant for horror, starting with uh, Evil Dead, and then he uh, rode that entire franchise and basically, you know, evolved it from being this um gruesome kind of horror movie to what became more of a campy horror comedy franchise in the end so taking somebody like that to marvel studios sounds awesome because marvel you know has always had uh, a, a lean into comedy throughout their comic book you know action and drama but we've also heard that they're supposed to be more of a horror element for in the multiverse of madness and sam raimi has experience with all of that so this this really is exciting i'm i'm very very interested in seeing what he does with material like this although kevin feige has been kind of downplaying the horror element which led some people to believe that that was why scott derrickson left which is which i hear is not the case i i just hear that they you know were just not on the same page um creatively but um it's interesting here because Sam Raimi directed, you know, the three Spider-Man movies uh, for Marvel and Sony. And uh, the second movie, I think most a lot of people for the longest time would say that that was the best superhero film of all time. And I, actually, some people probably still say that that's the best superhero film of all time. Uh, but, you know, Spider-Man 3 was kind of a bit of a mess and uh, got critically slammed it got slammed by fans i don't think anybody really loves spider-man 3 so the the big question here is uh ben why do you think sam remy is is wanting to come back to superheroes um well he hasn't i mean what was the last movie he directed was it uh was it the horror film um god i'm i'm blanking on the name of it the the uh yeah uh, I de- think it... uh, de- uh drag me to drag... hell right no, 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 no. Oh, that's right. That's right. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. It seems like horror is just in his in his blood. And um, Oz, the, Oz the Great and Powerful. Wow. Talk about a movie that just straight up does not exist. Wait, uh, wait. Well, was that really his last movie? I think <laughs> that, it that might was like have so been. long ago. That was like, what, five years ago or something at Maybe, this point? Well, let, let me pull up. Yeah, that, was, that right was his now. last feature film. Since then, he has... <laughs> Directed two episodes of Rake, an episode of Ash vs. Evil Dead, and a short called The Black Gandola. So, so wow. maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe he needs Marvel more than Marvel needs him. Do you know what I mean? Like that's kind of what I was getting at. Yeah, maybe he's he has been trying to make stuff and just hasn't been able to get it off the ground. That's pure speculation on my part. I have no idea what you know. Maybe he's he, just been completely just recently. Content. I re- just recently I read actually though as recently or as far back rather as 2015 he had expressed interest in directing a Marvel Studios movie. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe he's just like this is the character that I'm most interested in of the stable and and you know he's he's seeing his window and trying to shoot a shot you know so uh, I don't know I feel like he's a good fit for this because there's so many options in the Doctor Strange multiverse to sort of like get a little weird and and let him you know like create some some stylish flourishes that um, 
that give a filmmaker the opportunity to go a little bit outside of the box of what uh, the classic Marvel Studios, you know, uh, style, house style is. And I think that would be a, a good way for him to sort of have his cake and eat it too, being able to, you know, work in the studio system with uh, basically what is almost guaranteed to be a mega budget, uh, you know, big blockbuster hit. And then also put a little bit of himself and his personality and some weirdness into the proceedings as well. I am excited to see Sam Remy get weird with like some big Marvel Disney money. <laughs> I mean, like that—that th- that sounds exciting to me. Uh, I'm just like I- I'm, you know, I'm I'm a Marvel fan, so I'm not like, you know, highly critical of Marvel and Disney. But I will say I am a little bit surprised that Marvel would go with a big auteur like Sam Raimi, especially in a movie that not only is you know, a sequel to a popular franchise uh, is probably setting up this multiverse thing for maybe the next phase. This could be the expansion of what's going on in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but also has to tie into, you know, WandaVision and Loki and it's setting up things. I feel like Marvel would typically want to have more control over the filmmaker. Brad, Hmm. do you have any thoughts on that? I mean... Yes and no. Uh, obviously, Marvel has you know their own formula, and they don't want to mess it up, and they you know need to keep things in line with the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But you know, I think sometimes you really just need to go for a filmmaker who has a good grasp on the material and has a certain uh, style. And maybe you know after meeting with Sam Raimi, they saw that he fit into what they wanted for this movie. Uh, you know, just because Marvel wants control and uh, oversees their stuff very meticulously doesn't mean that filmmakers won't align with that vision. So, um, you know, I, I think someone like James Gunn had a very specific vision for Guardians of the Galaxy, and it was different than anything Marvel had done before, but it fit in with what Marvel probably wanted out of that movie. So it just uh, it just seems like a happy meeting of the minds. Yeah, I, I think we, we can all say that we're excited for this. I'm excited to see what Sam Raimi does with his return to Marvel. Uh, Let's move on. Let's talk about streaming services for a bit here. Uh, CBS has announced that they're joining with Paramount Pictures, Comedy Central, Nickelodeon, and more to create a a streaming service. A little bit late to the game here, but uh, Brad, tell us about it. Well, funnily enough, they're actually early and late to the game because CBS All Access was one of the uh, earlier streaming platforms before the streaming wars really started to heat up. Uh, CBS All Access launched in 2014, gave uh, subscribers access to all of the old and current running CBS shows that were available on the network, and eventually it turned into a place for original programming with Star Trek Discovery, uh, the reboot of The Twilight Zone, The Good Fight, uh, and there's more on the way. But now, since uh, CBS recently had a merger with Viacom, a company which they were previously part of and then split and now are back together, uh, Viacom, Viacom CBS rather, is interested in combining CBS All Access with all the material that they have from Viacom's media uh, properties like Nickelodeon, BET, MTV, Comedy Central, as well as the film library that they have control of from Paramount Pictures. And also the library of 700 or so movies that they own the rights to from Miramax and creating some kind of streaming service with all that. Um, this would hopefully be the last major streaming service contender because uh, no other movie studio really has the clout to create their own streaming service. 
unless they teamed up with somebody else. And I can't see that happening for somebody like Sony uh, or, or Lionsgate or, or anything like that. So this is kind of probably the last entry in the, the major streaming wars. You don't, um, you don't think we're going to get Sony Lionsgate Plus? Max? I, I, I sincerely doubt it. I think Sony uh, already has crackled, don't they? <clears throat> Yeah, but that's not yeah. really the same, like, on the same par as this, I don't think, is it? Mm-hmm. No, probably uh, not. Um, but yeah, so it's it's not officially announced. They're supposed to talk about um, at least the consideration of creating this during their earnings call, which is happening on February 20th. But for something that isn't officially announced, it seems like there are some details that have already come out. It's They're supposed to be, um, the default will be an ad-supported uh, version of it. There will also be uh, an ad-free version you can pay for and a premium version that will also include access to Showtime. Uh, As of now, there's no price point specifically given, but the anticipation is that it would cost less than $10 a month since CBS All Access is currently priced at $5.99 for an ad-supported version and $9.99 for ad-free. So um, this comes along with HBO Max and uh, Peacock. And all the other streaming services that are available out there for content. And and like I said, ho- hopefully it's the last. <laughs> I will say this. CBS All Access was never really a viable streaming service for, for my attention. Because, you know, it has a lot of, like, just bad network television. And the, the only thing it was, like, trying to tempt me with was, like, these new Star Trek TV series in Twilight Zone. But, like, you know, the what? They have, like, two of those a year? Like, it's not enough to keep me subscribed every month. But now that they're joining with, you know, all the Viacom pro- properties, uh, it, I mean, Brad, you must be excited because Comedy Central, that must mean that they're going to have, like, all the old, like, Comedy Central, like, stand-up specials and stuff like that. Like, there's a bevy of, of stuff in Nickelodeon. Like, I mean, to have, like, you know, all the, the catalog stuff of, like, Rugrats and Doug and all that stuff, that, that, that could be worth subscribing to. Well, I'm actually more annoyed than anything because a lot of that stuff has already been available uh, on Hulu or Amazon Prime for a while. So I've I've already bit I've dug into you know the library episodes of uh, Doug and Rugrats and Rocko's Modern Life um, and you know Comedy Central presents and a lot of other older Comedy Central shows. So if anything, this is just more frustrating because now it's creating a division. <laughs> between where I find my content and now if I want to get access to it, I do end up having to pay for all these different streaming services. And honestly, it makes me some, – somebody out there needs to to come up with uh, an app that allows you to input every single streaming service that you have into it and it allows you to explore it as one single library. Because if there's one thing I hate, it's jumping around to all of the different – streaming services to see new stuff and scroll through the library and find things. And Apple TV ha- uh, attempted this. They have an app that allows you to, you know, access all those things from a certain app, but it's not nearly as fine-tuned enough to allow me to search seamlessly and really easily find uh, things that I want to watch from all the different, you know, subscriptions that I have. So it's uh, it's just becoming messier as the more streaming competitors enter the arena. Ben, is there anything here to tempt you in the Viacom CBS arena of the of this new streaming service that will make you pay for another streaming service? I don't think so. I mean, I'm I'm Paramount has a bunch of great stuff in their archives. So, but like, you know, if you look at what HBO Max is doing, it's not like every Warner Brothers movie is going to be made available on on release. They're also going to be you know sort of cycling things through. So. 
I'm kind of frustrated that these studios who are, you know, launching their own streaming services aren't even giving people access to the full thing. Like, what's the point of doing it? Um, I don't know. That That's one of my biggest frustrations. So <laughs> I, I, I basically just need to, like, go out and buy all of the Mission Impossible movies on 4K discs or something and, and just, you know, watch those and, and be happy with that instead of, like, trying to. Um, but even like Brad said, like, I think Mission Impossible 3 might be streaming on Amazon Prime right now. Like, the, you know, they're bouncing and Fallout is definitely on Hulu. So. I don't know if this, that's just going to consolidate all of those and take, you know, rip those away from the services that I'm already subs- uh, subscribed to. So uh, it just sounds frustrating. I, I'm, it, <laughs> as you can tell, I'm very, uh, you know, wary and, and annoyed uh, at all new streaming services at this point. Are, are there any like big franchise franchise properties that Paramount owns that they could create an original series for this new streaming service that would make it worth your while like i like i feel like they could do like a mission impossible thing of some kind but yeah i want to say there was some talk about that a little while like maybe late last year or something um i think they right now have the rights to terminator um transformers yeah transformers the uh, that whole like hasbro cinematic universe so i mean no not really the naked gun i would i wouldn't mind seeing a, a series based on the naked gun and i'm being very serious about that yeah maybe they I can mean, finally get this galaxy quest tv series like get that going somehow like that might be worth it right yeah and i think i, I want to say and i may be wrong about this but i want to say that chinatown was a paramount movie and they're uh, david fincher i think is working on a chinatown like follow-up show but that's for netflix so i it may same be like, with yeah same with beverly hills cop yeah, it may be like produced by Paramount TV or something like that that may be connected to the studio in that way, but it's not going to be for this streaming service. So like, you know, who's to say that if somebody decided to make a TV adaptation of The Godfather or some, you know, some other major huge famous Paramount movie that it would even end up on this thing. So I don't know. By the way, a Godfather TV series. I'm not going to say that's a good idea, but that's definitely something that's a movie that could be extended into you know seasons i feel like it, 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 you you could th- there's a lot of room to explore that that world but i guess sure, yeah, yeah depending on the the people involved i think yeah. i think you're right i think if if it came out where people you know uh, a fan beloved uh <laughs> auteur or something was behind it i think people would be excited for it yeah it, instead we're probably gonna get a live action transformers tv series which Actually, that, that's probably not even possible, right? Like, it sounds it just, expensive. Yeah, it sounds way too expensive for them. Okay, let, let's talk about other streaming service things. I know, Ben, one of the things that annoys you about streaming services is these autoplay, like, previews. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> and and so, uh, lastly, Netflix is finally allowing users to have control over that? Yeah, thank God. Uh, yesterday, Netflix finally, after, like, years and years of forcing people to sit through the autoplay functionality as people were screaming scrolling through the the library uh, Netflix finally said okay no more if you don't want to do this we're giving you the option to turn this off basically so uh, not only can you now turn off the autoplay that happens when you're just hovering over a title when you're scrolling through but you can also turn off the ability to autoplay the next episode of a show so you can have a second to sit there and and process what you've seen instead of immediately being hurled into the next episode um (laughs) you know what that's good for that's good for like when you're watching netflix late at night and you end up falling asleep but netflix like thinks that you're watching the series still and then like you wake up and you're like 
five Six episodes further further yeah, <laughs> yeah. <You're> like what yeah. <laughs> yeah but now i mean so again this is just an option like you can if you love autoplay for some reason if you really i mean i guess maybe some people like it like the ability to just hover over a title and essentially watch a trailer as it's happening for me i like reading the description instead of seeing the imagery from the thing that i may or may not be about to watch and it's always just annoying to like click on a title or hover over it or whatever and like try to be reading this thing and like all of a sudden the screen fills up and it's the freaking trailer basically and the audio is blasting in your ears i always just like had to put uh, i had to click mute every time i opened netflix until i figured out what i wanted to watch because it was so annoying to me so yeah the thing know, that annoys I, me is like the audio like yeah yeah but uh, i'm wondering like you know i'm not going to pretend like oh corporations know what they're doing but they must have A-B tested this, right? Like, they must have tested this and found out that with the autoplay feature uh, enabled by default, that people end up watching more. Or else they wouldn't be doing it, right? Because it's wasting bandwidth on their end and it's only annoying a subset of their audience. Sure, yeah. I think it must just have been like a... Um... You know, they hit a boiling point of people <laughs> complaining about it, and uh, they just decided, hey, instead of like forcing people to do this, let's make people go through a, a four-step process just to shut up the ones who are annoying us on social media about it all the time. So um, I, I think a majority of people, a huge majority of people, are never going to take advantage of turning off this autoplay stuff. But for the very small people, you know, small percentage like me and anybody else out there, I'm guessing a lot of our listeners may be annoyed by this stuff too. Yeah. You can just go to our um, the article at SlashFilm.com and, and follow this very easy process on how to uh, essentially opt out of all autoplay functionality on Netflix. Well, they're also hiding it on their like web interview. Face. So it's not like right. you can go onto your Roku or Apple TV and like easily change the setting. So it's I don't know. It's and I, I'll say this: I I am a person who loves movie trailers, but I am a person that doesn't want to watch the movie trailer right before I watch the thing. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, we'll go to uh, screenings here in LA, press screenings or premiere screenings, and they'll have on the screen before the screening like the trailer on repeat, and. As much as I love movie trailers, I don't want to see the imagery from the movie right before I see it because I feel like that – like there is no disconnect. There is no time to forget the stuff that you're seeing. And mm -hmm. I – yeah, uh, so that annoys me. But yeah, so now there's an, a way to do this. I wish there was – they would enable – I love the skip the credit sequence like when, when it has that option. I mm -hmm. wish there was a way to turn that on by default. That like I could be like auto automatically after the first episode, skip the credit sequence. Mm. But I don't know. Probably not enough people are going to complain about that, so it'll probably never happen. Okay, let's uh let's move on. Let's talk about why the last man. This is a TV series based on the comic book property from Brian K. Vaughn and Pia Guerra. Uh, the this has been something in the works for a long time. It's uh was first going to be a movie. It's now going to be a TV series. It seems like it's cursed. Ben, what is going on here? Yeah, the Why the Last Man TV series has uh, hit yet another obstacle in its long, long path toward some sort of screen. As you mentioned, it was originally going to be a movie. Now it's supposed to be a show. It's been in the works as a TV series at FX for a long, long time. And uh, the actor Barry Keoghan, who was in Dunkirk and he was in The Killing of a Sacred Deer and American Animals and a bunch of other stuff, he was originally cast to play uh, York Brown, the last man left on Earth when 
a this sort of like mysterious event uh, essentially kills off all living creatures with a Y chromosome. So um, except for uh, this boy and his pet monkey ampersand. So um, it is uh, it's a really great comic. And, I'm, I'm, you know, we've talked about it a bunch on this podcast before. It's like one of those comics that even people who don't read comics re- regularly should definitely pick up because it'll get you into the medium. And it's it's a really, I mean, fantastic story. But uh, Barry Keoghan has left the project. So now this show has no lead actor. It does have several other people already cast. Uh, Diane Lane, Imogen Poots, Amber Tamblin, and Timothy Hutton are all still on board. They have been, you know, attached to the series for a couple years at this point. Um, and I think there was like a, a pilot was shot and all of that stuff. But I, I guess I don't, I don't know if this is a network <laughs> decision or if this is an actor decision. Um, something happened and they decided to go their separate ways. So now it seems like they're going to be. Um, yeah, having to to go back and and reshoot this the pilot and hope that um, FX decides to move forward with it. But um, yeah, it, it certainly does seem like this thing is cursed at this point. Do, do you think we're actually going to get this TV series on the air? I think so. I think uh, Brian K. Vaughn is uh, is committed to this at this point. I think they've put so much um, development time into. Uh, fine-tuning the script and and getting this thing into a position to to actually have some success and it's gone through multiple showrunners and all that stuff too i feel like there are too many resources poured into this thing at this point for anybody to just give up on it um that seems like a very non-hollywood thing to do so i'm guessing that uh somebody's ego is tied to this thing you know whether it's a a development executive at at fx or whatever somebody is going to want to be the hero in this situation who you know finally sees this thing through and and delivers uh, a show that hopefully fans will be happy with after all these years. Yeah, I feel like this is like the uncharted movie of TV shows. Yeah, it yeah. definitely feels like that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's talk about our final story for today. And this is Clerks 3, which we know is in the works, but we didn't really, we don't really know much about what it's going to be. We, we know that Randall and Dante are coming back and in the sequel, they went from the quick stop to a fast food restaurant and I, I was kind of half expecting Clark's Theory was going to be about – was going to be kind of autobiographical with Kevin Smith, like, making Clark's. Like, they were going to make a movie in the quick stop. Uh, Brad, what do we know about Clark's Theory? So Clark's Theory has, you know, been around for a while in some, you know, version, form, what have you. Uh, Kevin Smith wrote a script a while back. Uh, it didn't come together as a movie because Jeff Anderson didn't want to – make it there's talk about it maybe becoming a play um and it just was kicked around for a while until it was just dead in the water but more recently kevin smith revealed last year that clerks 3 was alive again with an entirely new script um seemingly inspired by kevin smith's close brush with death when he had a a near fatal heart attack not too long ago and now after uh rekindling his uh friendship and working relationship with jeff anderson uh clerks 3 is back and it's in the works. Whether it'll actually officially happen this time remains to be seen, but Kevin Smith is still talking about it uh, as if it will be a thing. And in response to a fan on Twitter uh, talking about how they didn't really like Clerks 2 that much and offering up some lame ideas for what to do uh, for Clerks 3 as far as the setting is concerned, Kevin Smith said that Clerks 3 will essentially go back to its roots uh, and it will be placed almost entirely at the quick stop, just like the first Clerks movie. So we won't be going back to movies. Uh, at the end of Clerks 2, 
Dante and Randall were back at the quick stop and they actually owned the quick stop. But as we saw in Jay and Silent Bob reboot, uh, the video store is gone, replaced by a red box. But quick stop is still there. So presumably they'll still be there living out their lives. We're not sure what kind of developments come along for these characters. I'm sure they'll have something to do with life being fragile and uh, touching things that Kevin Smith has learned since his you know, uh, fatal heart attack. So we will see how that goes if this movie ever gets made. <laughs> do, do you think it's not going to get made? I mean, it's tough to say. You know, there's been so many projects that Kevin Smith has talked about that haven't come to fruition. Uh, you know, at the one time he was talking about doing a Mallrats sequel that turned into a Mallrats series that didn't happen. Now that project is back in a new iteration, just like Clerks 3. And so he clearly has some financial support uh, from Saban Films and other people who are interested in making them for his uh, niche group of fans. But I, I don't know. It's just Jay and Silent Bob reboot got such a, a weird release that had just a small like Fathom Events theatrical release combined with the roadshow tour that they were doing where tickets were very expensive. So I don't know. Um, I, I wouldn't mind seeing it simply because I didn't dislike Clerks 2 and I thought Jay and Silent Bob Reboot was fine for what it was, but because Jay and Silent Bob Reboot, the problems that it has with not really feeling quite in tune with Kevin Smith's old comedic self uh, and the the writing style he used to have. I just find it hard to think that a return to Clerks and or Mallrats can capture the same kind of, uh, I don't know, love and, and reverence that there, there was for Kevin Smith's movies when he was still, you know, a very popular filmmaker in the, the 90s. So, I don't know. Do, do you think Kevin Smith has anything left to say with Clerks? I mean, if anything, I feel like he has all new things to say because of this new place in his life that, that he's in. Uh, he clearly had a lot on his mind for Jay and Silent Bob reboot, even though a lot of it was just based around the nostalgia for bringing back old characters from the View of universe. But he he found something emotional to latch on to with uh, a father-daughter storyline between uh, Jay and his um, estranged daughter that he didn't even know about, uh, played by Kevin Smith's real daughter. And so it's I think he's found a lot of new things to say as he's aging and his perspective has shifted. And maybe it's that that's not lining up with, I don't know, the, the, the fans who grew up with him when he was different. Or maybe it's just because, as a lot of people have said, his storytelling approach and comedic style has changed a lot ever since he started smoking weed. Uh, <laughs> that seems to be a lot of the, the heavy criticism thrown at Kevin Smith these days. But, uh, you know, I just I just don't know. It's just I think the hardest the biggest hurdle that Kevin Smith has is giving fans something that feels like what he gave them so many years ago while still feeling like he's doing something new. Yeah, fair enough. I agree with everything you said. Well, we'll have to, I'm very curious what the plot is for Clerks 3 because I don't, I don't think it can be them just going back to work at the quick stop right like it has to be something more than that uh i mean apparently it won't be if it takes a place almost entirely at the quick stop yeah, so i don't yeah. know fair enough okay. i wouldn't be surprised i wouldn't be surprised if like this version of clerks 3 is like cycles through a lot of the care maybe the same characters who were around f for the first clerks but like now they're all aging and they have like their own 
depressing, sad stories of like, oh man, we can't play hockey anymore because, you know, uh, so-and-so broke their leg and they're stuck up or so-and-so is taking care of their, their sick mom and blah, blah, blah. And so maybe just, it'll just be this de- depressing, you know, <laughs> the, kind the, of the, thing the, of like, man, man, we're all getting old. <laughs> the, the same people are just coming in the quick stop and it's like a very, you realize how towny Red Bank, New Jersey is and how everybody didn't leave and didn't make anything of themselves. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jade, Silent Bob are still selling drugs outside. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm wondering if that's going to be depressing. I don't know. We'll have to see. <laughs> okay, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find links to the stories we mentioned on today's podcast linked in the show notes. Uh, Slash Film Daily is published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please rate and view this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we will see you on Monday.